0: Love Talk Radio.
1: to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Tonight's show will focus on strategies for connecting with DNA matches with Shannon Christmas. Shannon Christmas is an experienced genealogist specializing in genetic, colonial American, and African American genealogy in Virginia and the Carolinas. Shannon serves as a 23andMe Ancestry Ambassador an Ancestry.com Ace Administrator of the Captain Thomas Graves of Jamestown Autosomal DNA Project and a co-administrator of the Hemmings Jefferson's Wells Epps Autosomal DNA Project. He regularly advocates for technological advancements in the direct-to-consumer genomics space and advises clients on the methods for mining genealogical gems from genetic data. Shannon has been a guest on this show before, and he has always provided us with excellent information on how we can make DNA testing as a genealogical tool, work for us. So let me give a warm welcome to Shannon Christmas to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Shannon.
2: Thank you, Bernice. I truly appreciate uh, having the honor of being on your show
1: once again. Well, it is always an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, Shanna, let's kind of start at the beginning, just so we could have every all of the listeners uh, starting off on the same page. So just help us review for a minute the DNA test.
2: Certainly. There are several different types of DNA that are tested for genealogical purposes. Uh, mitochondrial DNA. Uh, is one of them. Mitochondrial DNA is DNA that's passed on from mother to child, from one generation to the next. Uh, It is great for uh, tracing maternal lines, specifically one's mother's 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 mother. Uh, As I stated before, it's passed on from mother to child, which means that women are able to pass it on, to their children, but men who obviously receive mitochondrial DNA are not able to pass it on. Another type of uh, DNA that we test for genealogical purposes involves the sex chromosomes, uh, chromosome Y and chromosome X. These are called sex chromosomes because they help to determine biological gender, If you have both a Y and an X, then you are biologically male. If you have two Xs, then you are female biologically. Uh, So that means that the Y chromosome is passed on from father to son one generation after the next. That makes it great for tracing one's father's 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 line, and for uh, attaching uh, genetic signatures on the Y chromosome to specific surnames that are passed from father to son. The X chromosome, which is often tested along with the autosomes, which I will get to in a moment, is something that everyone has. Whether you're male or female, the difference is males only receive one x chromosome from their mothers, and females receive two x chromosomes, one from their fathers who inherited the X chromosome from their mothers, and one from their mothers, which is often a combination of various uh relatives contributing to the maternal X chromosome. At any rate, the X chromosome has a very unique inheritance pattern, which makes it challenging for some people and easier for others. Uh, in other words, you can chart out which ancestors potentially contributed to your X chromosome uh, in a very easy way, but that confuses some and the final type of dna that we test for genealogical purposes is called autosomal dna this involves dna that is passed on the autosomes chromosomes 1 through 22 this is the type of test that's very popular right now it's tested by uh 23andme family tree dna's family finder and ancestry DNA. Uh, you can actually take your raw DNA data from either one of those companies and upload it to a third party uh, website known as gedmatch.com. The autosomal DNA translation for genealogical purposes is very powerful, but also very challenging for a lot of people because any ancestor can contribute to uh, autosomal DNA. And in fact, all of them do in one sense or another. So there's a lot of processing of that information to make it useful for uh, genealogical purposes. Uh, Most importantly for our conversation tonight, uh, the process by which you are able to glean genealogical information from autosomal DNA is called segment triangulation. And to give a very brief overview of that process, uh, I have to first give you a bit of an idea of what it's like to be on the other side of processing autosomal DNA uh, for the purpose of connecting various individuals uh, based on family lines. So when we provide a DNA sample for an autosomal DNA test, uh, the labs take it and generate raw data, which they compare to everyone else in a given database, looking for long segments of DNA, that would indicate that you and another person share a common ancestor, a common ancestor who passed down these long stretches of DNA, known as DNA segments. Now, typically, longer DNA segments are indicative of closer genealogical relationships and shorter segments of DNA, are typically associated with more distant genealogical relationships. The segment triangulation process is a process where you determine who is matching on what segments. And then, once you have created what we call a triangulated group for a given segment, you then communicate with the people in that triangulated group comparing family trees to identify the common ancestor from whom you each inherited the DNA segment. That in a nutshell uh, is the segment triangulation process as well as the various DNA tests that are currently on the market for genealogical purposes. Now one thing I want to mention before we move forward is that uh 23 and me is a bit unique in that they provide with one sample and one test a little bit of all of the DNA types or information on the various DNA types. So when you test with 23 and me you receive the autosomal DNA information which includes uh, DNA matches as well as uh, your ancestry composition, which is your admixture breakdown, as well as a mitochondrial DNA haplogroup, and if you are a male, a Y-DNA haplogroup. And those haplogroups are typically associated with uh, tracing very distant, almost ancient uh ancestry, so the various haplogroups are typically associated with various locations within the world. Uh, if you and another person share a haplogroup, it does not mean that you necessarily share. A common ancestor within a genealogical time frame, meaning within the last four to five hundred years. It means that you share a common ancestor many thousands of years ago. Uh, so you should not use uh, haplogroups to qualify or disqualify someone as a match if they appear on your autosomal DNA match list at 23andMe. Now, that's pretty much all anyone needs to know for tonight's discussion. If you want to learn and discuss genetic concepts and the mechanics of triangulation with much greater depth, you can do so on Facebook and on various blogs on the Internet. I administer a number of different Facebook groups dedicated to discussing those issues in greater depth. Uh, One of those groups is known as the African Descendants Genetic Genealogy Group on Facebook. Also, there's the GEDmatch.com user group on Facebook, which I also administer, and the Ancestry DNA Public House Group on Facebook. I also am an administrator for that group as well
1: okay so beyond the basics and the fact that if people want to know more they can go to the various Facebook groups let's move on to understanding who the DNA test consumer is and and what does it mean To those of us who are looking for matches when we talk about strategies for connecting what our DNA matches?
2: Certainly. Well, when we test, we have to understand that everyone is coming to the test for various purposes. They are not all uh, hardcore, hardwired, genealogist. Uh, The DNA testers come from all walks of life in every corner of the world. And as a result of that, have a different level of experience, comprehension, knowledge of genealogy, and various motivations. So you run into a situation where you are matched to individuals who Uh, may not have a lot of computer literacy, may not have a lot of ability to uh, utilize a lot of different types of technology. Some people are just testing to uh, find a parent, find a child they may have given up for adoption. Uh, Others just want to see the various... uh, or populations that will appear uh, when they get the admixture breakdown. Uh, Aside from that, when we are dealing with our matches, we have to also keep in mind that none of them really owe us anything. Uh, So we have to avoid exuding an entitled attitude about information because they don't have to give us anything at all. One of the many things that holds people back from communicating and collaborating is paranoia about genetic testing and genetic privacy. There's a lot of hysteria out there about what it means to have your DNA in these databases and what could potentially happen to you. Now, some of those fears should not exist uh, in the sense that what people are afraid of are just fantastic works of science fiction. Uh, You often will hear people say that they are afraid of sharing information, genetic information, because someone will attempt to clone them if they have it. (laughs) Uh, Others have put out the old refrain, oh, if I have my data in those databases, then an insurance company is sure to break into the database, to hack in, steal the information, uh, find out, what diseases I'm prone to get based on my genetic information, and then put me on a medical insurance or a life insurance blacklist. Uh, those are all pretty far-fetched, but that is the pervading or pervasive hysteria right now, and we just have to be willing to walk people through the process of understanding that that simply doesn't happen. Aside and from I just want
1: to just say something, and this is a comment coming from the chat. When you mentioned <clears> the, <throat> that people do have various reasons, we have a comment <clears throat> where one of the chatters is saying that she. She has three individuals that have contacted her on twenty three and me who were adopted looking for their parents or relatives, and they match on the ninety four to ninety seven percent third to fourth cousin
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the reason is because they were adopted yes, and that's another thing
2: uh when we encounter. Individuals who simply don't know anything about their family history uh it's often because they were adopted, and you have to be uh patient with that situation as well as a genealogist. I know that uh adoptees have complained to me personally that they often encounter uh, just the silence after. They tell some people that they're matching that they are adopted, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really not uh, the right response. What we really should do is just provide them with our family trees, provide them with our research, uh, because mm-hmm. that's the best thing that they could ever have. Uh, so once again, that is an excellent example of how people come to the different goals uh, that they're seeking to achieve and how we even with different goals can uh be helpful why right. uh, and so right that's what i say just be empathetic and provide some mutual comfort and understanding uh now my recommendations for all of this come from the perspective of a seasoned researcher trying to identify the most recent common ancestors uh, with the various matches. But someone else's perspective uh, would probably bring about a different approach. And that's the thing. You have to recognize that there are different goals. And as a result of the different goals, you're going to have different approaches.
0: hmm
1: Okay, so take us through uh, some strategies. What's the first line of communication? Now, the first line of communication
2: begins before you even send out any sort of correspondence to a match. It is your on-site profile page, whether you have tested with Family Tree DNA uh, ancestry DNA or 23andMe, you want to create a profile page that is engaging and provides a sense of the information that you have and want to share and what you're all about with this DNA test. So I always tell people that before you even receive your results, You want to do as much research as possible so that you can create and attach as complete and detailed a family tree, a pedigree chart as possible to your on-site profile page. That is the most important piece of information aside from your genetic data that you can supply to your matches. You also want to provide, once again, an engaging but brief summary of your known family history on your profile page. You want to list surnames and ancestral locations. And you want to include your email address. You want to include your email address because the internal messaging systems at some of the companies are sort of hit or miss. They fail more frequently than you would imagine. So, exchanging email addresses or providing your email address from the very beginning provides an opportunity for someone to use a more reliable channel of communication.
1: Well, Shannon, I have a comment coming out of the chat, and the um, chatter is saying that her tree is private. However, she will share it if someone reaches out to her. But it sounds like you're saying to go ahead on and make your tree public. Yes,
2: that is what I recommend. Uh, Private trees present an obstacle for some. Uh, I know many people who have made it very clear that if a match has a private tree, then they just bypass the match. Uh, They won't take the time to ask to access a private tree. So that is one thing to keep in mind, is that a private tree can be a bit off-putting. Another thing that others have communicated is that some have had bad experiences attempting to get access to private trees where the owner of the private tree has just said, no, you cannot access it. My tree is private. Or the owner of the private tree said, yes, I will provide temporary access And if you do not find the common ancestor within a certain time frame, I will revoke access. And then in the worst case, the request for access just went uh, unresponded or the owner was unresponsive. So, yeah, I don't recommend attaching a private tree to your profile page at any of the companies. Uh, it tends to dissuade matches from communicate from communicating, and beyond that, it just is less efficient. It requires additional steps that some people just won't want to take. Yes, yes. Uh, beyond that, I would also recommend including a statement of purpose and that just involves telling people why you have tested and what you want to learn uh from this test uh, beyond that I also give a caveat about jetmatch where people don't really have profile pages but uh you will appear on people's match list at jetmatch and if you don't have an email address <laughs> no one will have an opportunity to contact you and perhaps advance your research or theirs. So you definitely want to make sure that you have an email address attached on JetMatch to your account and that your email address is public. And you also want to ensure that your username on JetMatch is consistent with that used on all of the commercial sites because that's another uh, point where people get extremely confused. They don't know who you are on GEDmatch if you've used some other alias, uh, different from the username that you're using on 23andMe or AncestryDNA or FamilyFinder. One thing that I do when I look at matches on GEDmatch who have kit numbers that clearly reflect that they are on Ancestry DNA. As I go to Ancestry DNA, uh look at the match list and try to find them so that I can take a look at their tree and hopefully make a connection before I even email them. Uh, so that's another reason why I say just have that username be consistent uh, on all of the commercial sites as well as JetMatch. Now what you don't want to do use your match's lack of matching surnames or ancestors in their profile or on their family tree as a reason to dismiss them. Because there are all sorts of reasons why the surnames that your match has and the surnames that you have researched are different. Uh, For instance, Uh, When African Americans are researching, uh, they often find that uh, people who were enslaved but were biologically related selected different surnames uh, at the time of emancipation for various reasons. But that doesn't change the fact that their descendants in the present day are related that's just one example Uh, in other cases people have changed their surnames just to differentiate themselves from their family for one reason or another but it doesn't change the fact that uh, the present day descendants are relatives biologically Uh, so that's just a couple of things to keep in mind uh, before you even get into the process of corresponding with your matches.
1: Well, Shannon, I mean, I have I have uh, been received. You know, I have received responses from people informing me I don't recognize any of your surnames, or I don't have any people from that particular geographic location yet they're in their DNA relatives. And so what is your recommendation when people get those types of responses? I would
2: explain to the match just as I did the various reasons why uh, a surname or the list of surnames might be different or the list of geographical uh, location Uh, is different. Uh, In many cases with geography, you have to recognize that people move. People are mobile. And uh, you also have to recognize that not everyone has researched as thoroughly as you have. And so in many cases when uh, I send out messages to matches... I will get a response back that says, oh, I don't have any Christmases in my tree. And so I will ask the match, uh, please send me a link to your online family tree. And I notice, in many cases, the family tree sort of peters out at about the great-grandparent level. And so what I will do is research the great-grandparents, the the end of the tree for that person. And I will just extend that matches tree out and find the common ancestor. And in a number of cases, (laughs) I have found a Christmas ancestor. (laughs) And I will just write them back and let them know what I have found. And they thank me for that. So that is another uh, strategy there is to make sure you get that matches tree. Diagnose the problem of that person not having done as much research as you have. And then implement the solution. Extend the family tree.
1: Well, now there's a question coming out of the chat is it best to begin with working on locations or what? It is
2: best to begin comparing family trees completely. And so this gets to a recommendation that I plan to discuss later, but do not send your match a list of surnames or a list of locations. You want to have a full tree to give to your match if possible so that you can see the complete context. Uh, So time frames, locations, surnames, people because that's another thing too. I've seen cases where Uh, Individuals have the same ancestor, but the ancestor is documented with a different surname. Or in some cases, they have the same surname, but the first name is different or written a different way. Uh, For instance, there was a connection I made some years ago where the person had an ancestor by the name of Matt Green who was located in the same place as a relative that I knew as Madison Green. They were the same person, just documented differently.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. And that's just one example of why you have to think outside the box and look at the entire context.
1: Okay, so Shannon, we're going to take a quick break and come back so that you can continue to tell us about the correspondence and basically what we should say. So just a quick break and we'll come right back. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Now, you have been listening to Shannon Christmas share strategies for connecting with DNA matches. I've also opened the phone lines for questions if you would like to call in, ask a question, or make a comment. And the number is 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Okay, Shannon, we're back live. And I'd like you to just uh, go back through some of the issues you've talked about. And I have a comment coming out of the chat. In comparing trees, you have an idea of the generations away – generations provided by Ancestry and 23andMe. How do you determine which branch you want to look for in another person's tree, or do you look at all of their branches? And she's hoping that she's made sense. (laughs) Okay. Well, I typically,
2: if the match has not given me any indication of how we match, I look at all of the branches because you never know which one is going to give you the information you're looking for. Uh, So, yeah, I tend not to focus as much on uh, the generations that are listed in terms of how distantly or how closely you are related unless it's a, a higher match. Just because if, for instance, speaking of uh, autosomal DNA, you only share one segment with a person, regardless of the size of the segment, you can never really be too clear about how closely or how distantly you are related. There's a reason why a lot of the companies say something along the lines of, 3rd to distant or 3rd to 6th or 3rd to 5th, because there's a lot of variation there. Even with one long segment, you just don't know uh, what's going on with it. So I tend not to, like I said, put a lot of weight on generations unless it's a, a high match or relationship predictions unless it's a high match. So, yes, you want to go through the entire tree, every branch, unless uh, the match has already provided uh, valid information that lets you know that, uh, for instance, say, you must be related on my paternal side because you're matching my father. (laughs) Then that's an indication that you just need to look at the paternal side. But I hope that answers the question adequately.
1: Okay. Well, let's go back to just strategies for communication. Now, what should you say when you're first connecting with someone, with a match? Okay. Your first letter should be a
2: clear, concise introduction an introduction to you, an introduction to your research. And an introduction to your goals. So you want to communicate your purpose for contacting the match and tell them what you want to learn and why. My introductory letter usually speaks along the lines of uh, this particular test has determined that we are related based on shared DNA. I'm interested in learning more about our shared ancestry. If the interest is mutual, please take the next step of providing me with a link to your online family tree uh if it's at ancestry dna i often promote uploading to gedmatch that's a that's a must for anyone who has tested with ancestry dna but who tested anywhere else you must upload your data to gedmatch and you should utilize the introductory message to motivate your match to do just that. Ancestry DNA does not provide any of the tools necessary for segment triangulation at this time. JetMatch provides those tools for free. So that should be a part of your introductory message.
1: Well, there's a question coming out of the chat, though, and this person would really like you to speak about chromosome matches, that is chromosome 1, and Uh just an example, and the significance it is to the tree. Since you're now suggesting that in your introductory message, especially Uh to your ancestry users, that you want them to download their raw data, and upload it to JetMatch.
0: Okay.
2: So if I understand the question correctly, uh, the individual seeks an answer about the significance of chromosomes. Yes. Uh, I usually uh, do not get into the details of, the science in the introductory letter.
0: Mhm.
2: I give someone a, a basic introduction on Ancestry DNA uh to what it means to be matched to someone. Mhm. and what Ancestry DNA can tell you and what it cannot tell you given that it does not have a chromosome browser. So I provide a link to a cartoon that was generated uh by another <laughs> uh frustrated ancestor dna user uh that tells you basically that you cannot just tell how someone is genetically related based on family trees alone mhm and i also provide them with a link to a youtube video which teaches the person how to download their raw DNA data from Ancestry DNA and how to upload it to gedmatch.com I don't recommend getting into the finer details of the genetics uh, or the mechanics of segment triangulation in that introductory
1: letter at all okay so, the goal right now is to communicate with them that you are related, but now you need to take it to another level to find out how you're related. And would they exactly. be, do you ask them if they would be interested in further communication? And do you also ask them why they tested all in the introductory letter?
2: Now, I want to make sure that when we think about introductions, you have to remember not to overwhelm a match. So I don't often get into uh, asking them about why they're uh, testing in an introductory letter. I simply... Communicate what I am about, uh, ask them if they are interested in moving forward, and tell them how to move forward. Whether okay. that's uploading from Ancestry DNA to JetMatch, or comparing genomes on 23andMe, which is another must do, or if it a family finder match or family tree DNA match, just comparing family trees if they have not already provided a family tree. So that's what an introductory letter pretty much looks like across the various companies. Uh, and it's been pretty successful for me. I have a response rate that appears to be double what most people get. Uh, about a 50% response rate, which is still less than what I would hope for, but
1: it's much more than what most people get
2: using other strategies.
1: Okay. And then what's the next step? Now, the next step,
2: if the match responds as you expected them to respond. They uploaded to JetMatch and contacted you. They uh, accepted your introduction on 23andMe. They're uh, providing access to their genetic data on 23andMe. They provided the family tree uh, if they're on Family Finder. Then the next step is to explain what you've already determined from a comparative analysis of the genetic data as well as a comparison of your pedigree charts. Now, I'm sure there are some out there who are thinking, what do you mean by comparative analysis of the genetic data? Well, 23andMe provides a tool known as Family Inheritance Advanced, where you can compare genomes with your match, see where you match, compare them to other people you match, and get a clear idea of what we talked about earlier, triangulated groups. You can do the same thing on Family Finder with the chromosome browser they have there and uh, what they call the In Common With feature where you can get a sense of what might be a triangulated group uh, and hypothesize about that and collect family trees and Uh, test that hypothesis. And then AncestryDNA recently released a shared matches tool as well as uh, parental filters so that you can see potentially uh, where your match may be related to you. So with the shared matches tool, you can see other people that your match is matching who also match you. And form an hypothesis about who your common ancestor might be or what side of the family this matches on. Uh, you can also use the parental filters at Ancestor DNA to do the same thing. Uh, for instance, if you see the person uh, has a particular surname and is also matching with you on your paternal side, and it's a surname that's on your paternal side. That can give you an idea of how you might be related. And so you want to transfer that knowledge that you have obtained from that process and give that to your match in the second message. You also now want to. Now, suppose
1: you, I'm just going to ask a question, you continue mm-hmm. what you were saying, but just suppose you're coming up with this hypothesis but you know that you have major gaps in your tree. Now, do you communicate, well, I can only get to my great-grandmother? And then you share that tree, but they may have a tree that goes to, you know, the great, great, great. At what point do you let them know, my tree has a lot of holes in it?
2: Well, I think that would be apparent once you provided them uh, with a link to your family tree. And you can explain that in your second or third message, why your tree has these gaps, these big brick walls that you can't seem to uh, overcome. That is something that you should communicate uh, along with your family tree, that it's a work in progress. Everyone's tree has gaps. Everyone's uh, tree has brick walls. Uh, It's really nothing to be ashamed of. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. And the DNA test provides an opportunity to collaborate with various matches and hopefully demolish some of those brick walls.
1: Yes, okay.
2: So in addition to that, Uh, you should encourage your match to collaborate with your common matches within that triangulated group to facilitate identifying who that common ancestor is. And that's another thing is that if you're dealing with genetic data, specifically autosomal DNA data, you have an opportunity to show the match exactly where you are matching and explain the triangulation process in very simple terms typically what i do is i take a list of the matches who are all matching on the same segment and are all matching each other and i say to them this means that you all inherited the same segment of dna from the same ancestor and if we all compare family trees then we can identify that ancestor. Uh so at that point you have the goal set, you have the tools available to you, and you can forge ahead. Now, this is where I get to uh the point where I recommend or Tell people about the various practices that I don't
0: recommend.
2: Uh, So, I once again don't recommend sending out a list of surnames. This is something that is number one on my list of things not to do uh, because often it just confuses people and turns them off and gets them on wild goose chases. You don't want to send a surname list, send a full tree. Uh, You also don't want to send a long email about one ancestor. That's another practice that I've observed has become a trend, and it's not efficient at all. You just delay the inevitable, which is to get information about your complete pedigree. And The next thing on the list of don'ts is if you are on 23andMe, don't request access to your matches health reports without discussing that in further detail. I see a lot of people who seem to request this sharing upgrade to the uh, sharing with health reports level without ever really explaining why they want to do that. And that can rub a match the wrong way uh, just because people are very sensitive about health data.
1: Okay. So yeah. there's a question in the chat, though, and it rela- it's, it's going back to... Uh, how does Ancestry determine that a match is is shared? Okay. So Ancestry DNA, like
2: all of the companies, uh, all of the autosomal DNA companies, looks for uh, sufficiently long segments of DNA that indicate that two individuals are related, That's how they determine a match. Now, in terms of the shared matches tool, AncestryDNA looks at the match list for two people who have already been determined to be a match, and they just look for people who are fourth cousins or closer, at this point at least, who appear on both individuals' matches or each individual's match list I should say
1: hopefully okay. that answers the question adequately well they haven't responded but uh let's let's move on and if they have other questions for that matter for any of you if you have other questions uh please feel free to come on in and ask a question now Someone said they have 900-plus matches, and how many, this is a question that's being asked of the people in the chat room, how many of you match on the same chromosome in the same place? That's
2: an interesting question. I think that will be different for different people uh, because different people come from different populations. And the databases, are what they are in the sense that they reflect the populations that have tested, and certain populations have tested more frequently than others. Uh, To be blunt, most of the people within the various autosomal DNA databases are of northern European ancestry. Uh, so people of northern european ancestry are more likely to get uh big clusters of uh dna matches on the same segment yeah and hopefully that uh provides some context for that uh question
0: right or the answer to that question
1: so let's go to the next level of messaging because we even see comments on Facebook where people get very anxious and very frustrated because the matches do not respond. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what we can do to try to boost our response rate when people don't respond. Certainly.
2: One of the number one reasons that messages go uh, without responses is that the person, the recipient, never saw the message. And that's often because the internal messaging systems are pretty unreliable. And Mm -hmm. in some cases, the recipient has their internal messaging system settings set up such that messages go to the internal inbox but are not transferred to their email address. So if they don't log into, say, Ancestry DNA or 23andMe for a long time, they won't see the message. Because it's not being passed on to their email address. Or in some cases, it's not even transmitting to the internal inbox. That's been a major problem at Ancestry DNA. So that requires uh, going to the next level, as you said, and going beyond the internal messaging systems. So one of the techniques that I use. Uh, especially on Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, and Family Finder, is I will go to the Matches profile, see if they have a photograph attached. Now, I use a Google Chrome browser, which allows me to right click on the picture and select Search Google for this image. So Google will search the internet for an image an image of this particular person and in the results oftentimes i can see whether the photo has been attached to you, a facebook profile that's public a twitter profile instagram profile all of those are channels that provide an opportunity to contact the match beyond the internal messaging systems. And I recommend that people do exactly that. Go ahead and contact them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. In some cases, it's even attached to email addresses. Go ahead and use their email. Email them. And you might even want to put in the message that you went through a different avenue because the internal messaging systems are so unreliable and you really want to be in contact with them. Now you do have to have the Google Chrome browser to employ that technique. Another technique that I utilize, I search for the matches, alias, or username using Google. This pretty much does the same thing. I find out whether the match has used the alias or the username for social media accounts, email accounts, and I just message them through those channels. Once again, I communicate the internal messaging systems are faulty, and I had to use a different channel to get in touch with them, and I want to find out more about our shared ancestry. And the response, generally, is quite
1: good. Do they respond in a way that they're saying they were not aware of the fact that you had even sent them a message?
2: In many cases, yes. Uh, They often indicate that they don't visit Ancestry.com or 23andMe uh, very often, Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: that they just never saw the message. In some cases there have been uh, responses that I get after four or five years, after I sent the original introduction on Ancestry or 23andMe.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah, and each time I hear, oh, well, I don't visit the sites very often. Uh, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Yes, yes.
1: Well, you know, you're also saying, you know, this isn't quite as easy as we may think it is as Uh far as connecting with people because we do have to really think creatively. As you said, the picture search or the alias search, just to connect with the person that may not even go back to the uh, original testing site.
2: Absolutely, and it doesn't end with aliases and uh, facial recognition. In some cases, say with Ancestry DNA or Family Finder, you see that somebody has provided a family tree of some sort, uh, or they've provided just a few surnames. Such that you can google them, google the uh the surnames and perhaps come up with a uh, a family tree that's on a different site, or you find emails that are part of root's web email list which are public uh and so you find the person's email address or you find obituaries which include. Uh, the person's parents or grandparents, and you're able to build out a tree for them. That provides another method for getting the information you want to surface and understanding how you are related and connecting with that person. Yes. In some cases, you just find a family tree on Ancestry that was actually generated by a close relative of the match, and the close relative will uh, offer to provide the match your contact information so that they can contact you. That has worked for
1: me a number of times. Mm-hmm. Another well, thing that I do Wait, before you continue to to say uh-huh. some of the other recommended strategies. I mean, there's a comment coming out of the uh, the chat room and uh-huh. it's basically saying there are always exceptions. And uh-huh. that while it may work, you know, some of the strategies may work for one person, they may not work for another person, but you're just giving us some ideas of what you have found to work for you. And perhaps people can think of that as an opportunity for them to come and get as creative as you have and connect them with uh, some of your matches. Absolutely. Uh, As they say, different
2: strokes for different folks. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh. So another strategy that uh, works for bypassing the internal messaging systems uh, is if a person has an Ancestry.com tree and that tree includes uh, the common ancestor, then what I do is I go to the overview page for that particular ancestor in the matches tree, and I will just add a comment. On that page, uh, where it says that uh, I want to be in contact with the person, uh, we were matched up on the DNA test, and I include my email address. And in some cases, that has been very effective for bypassing all of the uh, drum and strung that comes with the uh, internal messaging systems at Ancestry or at 23andMe. Now, one thing that I will recommend, or two things, rather, uh, when going through this process of corresponding and having to deal with uh, a lack of responsiveness, don't delete or block non-responsive matches. You never know why someone is unable to respond. They might... Uh, have a lot of family responsibilities that don't permit them a lot of time to communicate. Uh, Some just may not be uh, computer people, as they say. I believe one match said to me, uh, this is too much computer for me. (laughs) Uh, And in some cases, people are just dealing with the various things that happen in the course of our lives. And they might come back at some point and want to be in contact. So leave that uh, door open. Don't block them. Don't delete them.
1: Right. And, you know, there's a comment, uh, Shannon, coming out of the, the chat. It does take a lot of analysis, It takes time, and everybody is not on the computer every day. This is a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. And when you don't have your tree as far out as you can go and you do have gaps, you can get frustrated. Or you can be intimidated by the overzealous uh, researcher (laughs) that's hounding yeah. you, share your tree, give them your tree, show me what you're doing, and the, and, and you're just intimidated. And for some, that may turn them completely off. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, that
1: is why I say what I
2: say about uh, introductions and being very clear, very concise, and very simple, uh, because... That's your uh, that's your first face, as they say. And if you give the impression that uh, you're going to be overzealous, as you put it, you're going to overwhelm and intimidate your match. And you don't want to do that. You want to uh, embrace and welcome them uh, into your family in such a way that you want to transfer as much information as they want to know and have them feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And on that note, also, don't disable genome sharing if a match suddenly doesn't respond as quickly as they originally did. Once again, people have lives and Like you said, they may not be on the computer every day. And so you shouldn't expect the constant contact. But leave the genome sharing alone on 23andMe. Uh, They will come back to you if and when they are able.
1: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and then where do we go from there? So you don't want anyone to disable their g- genome. You uh-huh. don't want to block people if they don't respond to you. So how do we take it to the next level? Because you have also encouraged people to seek out those matches that may not be getting your message On the messaging system that's a part of the testing company but how do you seek out the individuals let's say on social media
2: yes I think that after you have gotten in contact with your match uh, whether that is through social media or just plain email you may find it very helpful to take a very purpose-driven approach uh, to using social media for surfacing genealogical information from your matches. So that might mean creating a Facebook group populated with your DNA matches that is dedicated to finding the most recent common ancestors among the various members of a triangulated group, for instance. You might also want to schedule a Google Hangout or a Twitter chat where members of the various triangulated groups can discuss uh, shared ancestry and begin understanding exactly how they are related at the molecular level and on paper. Uh, Now, that said, I don't think that anyone should make becoming a Facebook friend or a LinkedIn connection the highest priority. This goes back to the issue of overwhelming and uh, intimidating a match because as I also noted earlier people already have some concerns that uh, their matches might be out to get them. Sure That fear sounds like a paranoid delusion, but you turn on the evening news or even you just uh, look at the newspapers, they plant these seeds of fear and it germinates into this anxiety about connecting with people who, even if they do share DNA, are strangers to them. So, once again, don't make uh, becoming uh, a permanent fixture on somebody's Facebook uh, feed or LinkedIn feed your number one priority. Uh, Because a lot of people say that, oh, genome sharing is so intimate. A lot of people consider Being a Facebook friend or a LinkedIn connection, much more intimate than that. So use some discretion there. And another thing, and I will leave the social media piece alone after this, don't use social media as a way to screen matches, because I have seen this particular practice as well, where people essentially become Facebook friends or LinkedIn connections or uh, Twitter followers just for the purpose of seeing who and what a match is and then using what they find to determine whether they will communicate with the match at all. And I
1: just don't think that's fair at all. It, it, why why, why are you saying that? Well, uh,
2: this goes back to the purpose of DNA testing uh, and the perspective from which I'm giving these recommendations.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The perspective from which I'm giving these recommendations is someone who is a researcher who wants to understand more about their ancestry, People come from all walks of life, and just because they are doing something or being someone that you wouldn't necessarily approve of, for lack of a better phrase, that doesn't mean you can't learn something from them or teach them something that they could find useful.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand, yes, yes Now there's a comment that's saying you should avoid being Appearing intrusive And are just overzealous and stalking I mean some people do stalk people
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have to agree You don't want to become overzealous You don't want to become a stalker If an individual indicates that they do not wish to have any contact, then that's it. You are not to have contact with them. Mm -hmm. Any contact you attempt to make after that is harassment. You don't want to do that. It's not worth it.
1: That's right. That's right. So what are your parting words as we continue to look at strategies to connect. uh, Obviously, you have made some successful connections, and I'm just going to throw the question out to you. How many of your DNA matches have you actually figured out the common ancestor?
2: That is a good question. I have not counted uh, the number of matches, or rather, I just don't have that number uh, to pull right off the top of my head. But I will say I've had a great deal of success on my paternal side, more so than my maternal side, and that has more to do with uh, gaps in my tree uh, than anything else, and. Mm-hmm. That has even more to do with the amount of resources available to me uh, for researching that particular side. There are a lot more digital resources for North Carolina, where my paternal side is from, than the parts of Virginia and South Carolina, where my maternal side is from. But I have had uh, more success than I thought I was likely to have uh, with finding the common ancestors uh, with my matches. And I do have to say that collaboration is essential, uh, even if that collaboration begins and ends with providing access to uh, genome comparisons and uh, pedigree charts. So it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to require a lot of correspondence, and that's why I say, don't attach a private tree because that requires additional correspondence, uh, and don't make it difficult for someone to compare genomes with you. If you are on ancestry DNA, get your raw data and upload it to Jetmatch as fast as you can.
1: Okay, and I'm just going to open it up for anyone. If you would like to call in with a question, please feel free or make a comment. If not, I think, Shannon, we have been talking for about, what, almost 90 minutes, and I hope that some of the tips that you have shared tonight will help individuals at least begin the connection that they want. To take the DNA information to the next level. And if it means that you have to go back and make that tree public, you know, do that. If that will help you connect. And for the people that have gaps in their tree, communicate that this is what your problem is. You have gaps in your tree. But if you're interested, say you're interested, as you've said. Outline your goal. Tell people why you tested, as as Shannon has mentioned, so at least you have an idea of, of who you're working with. Uh, Shannon, it does look like I do have some folks coming on. Um, it, I'm trying to see if they have questions, though. I see that no one has uh, clicked. To ask a question, and so for tonight, I'm going to just say thank you so much for sharing with us your knowledge and talking about strategies, and I want everyone, just please remember, your ancestors left footprints. You may have gaps in that tree, but they left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and Beyond. Now you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages, in addition to all of the DNA Facebook pages, so that you could continue to learn and to ask questions of others that have had excellent experience in connecting with their matches. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And my website is Roots. Dot com. Well, I look forward to you, all of you, joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Shannon. Good night, Bernice. Good night.